Hey y'all, welcome back to A Natural State of Murder. I am your host, Jess, and as always, I am very excited to be here with you today. I hope that your week is going absolutely splendid. Mine is going pretty well so far. I'm really excited to announce I have created an Instagram page for the podcast. So if you are on Instagram, go follow at Natural State of Murder and we can get connected and discuss cases. And the plan is I'm hoping at least once a week, maybe on a Saturday or Sunday, that I can do a live and then we can interact live and discuss the cases that we have covered this week. But anyways, like I said, if you're on Instagram, go and follow at Natural State of Murder. Let's go ahead and jump into our case for today. Today we are in Mesa, Arizona, and we are going to discuss the case of Mindy Chambers. Mindy Chambers was born May 28, 1965 in New York. Her parents were Alan and Mary Chambers. Mindy's life was very troubled and very tragic from a young age. When Mindy was two years old, her mother Mary was found dead in the bathtub of their apartment in Yonkers, New York. It was May 7, 1968, and it was also Mary's 24th birthday. Mary's cause of death was drowning, and foul play was immediately suspected. The only suspect in Mary's death was Mindy's father, Alan. When police made contact with him, Alan had what appeared to be defensive wounds on his arms. He had visible scratches, and it looked like he had been in a struggle. Even with this evidence, it was not enough to charge Alan with Mary's murder. Not long after Mary's death, Alan was arrested and went to prison on unrelated charges. He was convicted of assault and attempted rape in New York. I could not find the details on that case, but it was completely unrelated to Mary's case. By the time she was three years old, Mindy's mother was deceased and her father was in prison for a very violent crime. Mindy went to live with her paternal grandmother, Irene Geralds, and later her aunt, Karen Brower, in Arizona. Mindy lived with them until she was seven years old and her father was released from prison. Alan was a suspected murderer and newly out of prison for a violent crime, and Karen really felt like he had no business having this child. However, Mindy was living with Karen at the time, but Karen had no legal rights to Mindy, and so when Alan demanded his daughter back, her aunt had no choice. She had to give her back to Alan. I am curious to know, though, what the courts were like back then, like in the early 70s, as far as a family member filing for custody or filing for emergency custody or some type of guardianship, you know, when they feel like a parent is not fit to be a parent. On October 19, 1982, Mindy walked her two stepsisters to school. 
Mindy was 17 years old at the time, and she was enrolled in high school herself, but it's unknown why she didn't go to school herself that day. When Mindy's stepsisters got home that day, Mindy was gone. The front door was wide open, and Mindy's purse and her ID and her other personal belongings that she would normally take with her, they were all there in the home. It was like Mindy was there one moment, and then the next moment, she wasn't. Mindy was never seen again. Mindy's family, they say that she had a history of running away, and when she initially disappeared, there seemed to not be much concern because Mindy had ran away before. But everybody should have been very, very concerned. Three days prior to her disappearance, Mindy made a report to the police that her father, Alan Chambers, had been molesting her for the last five years. Alan was married to a woman named Patricia Chambers, and she was Mindy's stepmother, but she was also the only real mother figure that Mindy had in her life. After Mindy made that report of her father molesting her to the police, CPS was contacted, and they placed her in the home with her stepmother. At the time of that report, and at the time of her disappearance, Alan and Patricia were going through a divorce. Of course, her stepsister saw her that morning as she walked them to school, and then there was one more witness that said they saw Mindy after that. Mindy was seen at a Circle K convenience store making a call on the payphone outside of the store. The clerk at the store said he saw a green and tan station wagon pull up and somebody got out of the car and put Mindy into the car and then they drove off. The clerk was allegedly friends with Patricia which is maybe how he knew it was Mindy that he had seen. But it's it's unknown if he reported this to the police or if this was information that he only provided to Patricia. But Mindy was, she was obviously in danger, but help would not be coming for Mindy. Mindy was reported missing in 1995. I know that you think that I should probably go back and I should edit what I just said since she went missing in 1982. But this is correct. Mindy was not reported missing until 1995, which was 13 years later. Many in her family, or hell, everyone in her family for all I know, assumed that Mindy had just ran away. On April the 17th, 1995, her Aunt Karen reported her missing. At the time she went missing, CPS was still involved in Mindy's case. Six days after she went missing, CPS attempted to make contact with Alan, but their attempts went unanswered. It is unknown if they actually tried to make contact with Patricia or make contact with Mindy. If so, they would have been alerted that Mindy was missing 
but they never reported her missing either. CPS, along with law enforcement, eventually just closed their case and dropped it. They dropped it. And Mindy was completely failed by the entire system. Allen was a truck driver. On December 13, 1994, he was killed when he fell asleep at the wheel. His truck overturned and he was ejected from the truck and killed instantly. In 1984, the body of a girl was found in Vidor, Texas. She was listed as a Jane Doe as she could not be identified. She was 12 to 20 years old. And Mindy and this Jane Doe had a strong resemblance. Both girls wore braces. Both girls had brown hair. And both girls were Caucasian. Mindy's half-sister offered her DNA to be tested, but investigators said they needed a paternal DNA test. And I would assume there may not have ever been established paternity between Mindy's father and her half-sister. If Mindy's sister had offered her DNA as a match and it came back as not a match, I don't know how accurate that would have been if paternity had not been established between Mindy and her father and the half-sister and her father. With Alan now dead, we don't have a we don't have accurate paternity to test as far as DNA. They have never been able to prove Jane Doe in Texas was Mindy, and she's still listed as missing, and her case has never been solved. Jane Doe, believed to be Mindy, is listed on the Doe Network with NamUs ID 4574. She is described as 12 to 20 years old, white, a female, 4'6 to 5'2, and with brown hair 2 inches long. Jane Doe was found on January 1, 1984, in Vidor, Texas. Her estimated time of death was sometime in 1983, if not sooner. There were partial remains discovered with soft tissues, and her possible cause of death is listed as decapitation. She was found on New Year's Day in a pastor near 1005 Ridgewood Street, south of I-10 at the 1132 overpass. The location of Jane Doe's body is interesting, considering Alan Chambers was a truck driver. Alan drove all over the country, and Jane Doe's body was found right off the interstate, and Alan drove this interstate many times on this specific route. Also, you remember the clerk that saw someone get out of the station wagon and put Mindy into the car? Guess who drove a green and tan station wagon at the time of Mindy's disappearance? If you guessed Alan Chambers, you would be absolutely correct. Mindy disappears, and three days prior, Mindy had made a report that her father, Alan Chambers, had been molesting her for the last five years. There is motive. 
This is still an open investigation. Both of these cases, Mindy Chambers and Jane Doe. Multiple agencies are involved, including the Orange County Sheriff's Office in Texas. If you have any information on either of these cases, you can contact them at 409-883-2612. I will also take this moment to remind you, when it comes to child abuse, if you see something or if you suspect something, say something. If you see something, say something. All 50 states in the United States has a child abuse hotline that you can contact and you can anonymously make a report. Please, if you see something, say something. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I cannot wait to see you next time. Bye.